This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. Good morning again. Just to remind you that we have produced a note paper um, for the year of 2018 for all of our series so that you can be taking notes. And I know we had a lot of them on the seats this morning. We'll also have them on the way in, paper and pen for you to write notes. And once again, we don't have these notes, paper, just because it's I'm preaching. Um, is what we're, our expectation is as we're reading scriptures, as we're talking about the word of God, that we expect the spirit of God to speak things to your life and to your heart. And you don't want to forget what those things are. So you can write them down or maybe some verse references. You can write them down so that in your own personal study time, you can remember what those things are. So those are available for you. I think they were on your chairs. And also there's pens in the seat pocket in front of you. Okay, we started this series last week called Once Upon a Time. And we are discussing the parables of Jesus. And and depending on how you count them, um, different theologians count them different ways. There's anywhere from 28 to 61 parables. And, and what that means is at different times when Jesus was teaching, he would be teaching his disciples or a crowd of people and he would stop and he would just tell them a story. And it wasn't necessarily a story of actual people or an actual family. Just sometimes he was using a story to get across a point. And all of us love stories, um, whether or not we like to read fiction or watch fiction or even tell our own stories. A lot of times we're telling those stories so that um, a, a moral can be learned or there's a truth or we, we find ourselves in the story. We're either the hero, sometimes we're the villain in the story. And, um, and when we, for those of you parents that have read bedtime stories to your children, you are reading them stories and hopefully they are learning something if we're telling them a story about life. And this is the same way Jesus taught. He just taught with parables so that we could understand an eternal truth, that we could understand something about life. Um, he didn't necessarily just give us a bunch of laws and this is how it is and this is exactly, he's like, here's a story, let me tell you. And then we would learn from that story. So last week, um, we talked about the seed. A small seed can produce big results in our life and two different parables that Jesus used that reference, that idea. So if you missed that message, you can go back and catch up through our website also through our podcast or our church app. So today we're going to be continuing on talking about something else, but let me just mention something as it relates to parables. As we look at these parables, uh, we can see that Jesus is trying to teach us or give us a revelation of God. He's trying to teach us about exemplary behavior or wisdom or life before God or final judgment or about human conduct and practical application and also about the kingdom of God. So today I'm going to be talking about, you know, really small ideas about suffering and repentance and judgment of God. Just these really, you know, small nuanced things that we talk about sometimes. Um, and really when we talk about the word repentance, um, if you aren't a Christian, this is one of the words that you don't like about Christianity. That you have maybe seen somebody, you know, a different place in time, maybe you've been on the news and they have a sign and on that sign it says repent or burn. These are my options in life. And then repent is not necessarily even used in a good way. It, it just, it, once again, it just has that, this sort of angry religious connotation. And I sometimes, because we don't actually know what the word repent means. But today, we're going to try to discover the joy of repentance. So are you okay to think with me this morning? Is it okay to think in church? Is it okay to think in church? 
You know, sometimes, you know, my, my youngest uh, over here a couple years ago it was summertime and I forget exactly what happened and we were trying to teach her something and it was, this, and it, it, you know, after school it was let out and she was like, there's a rule, there's no learning in summertime. And sometimes I think people have that idea about Sunday morning. We don't want to learn anything on Sunday. We just want to feel something. But let's actually learn something from the Word of God this morning. And let's think a little bit. I'm going to challenge you maybe in, in some of your thoughts. And just trying to understand, let's talk about repentance a little bit. A couple years ago, um, my wife and I were traveling down to the States. And we were going through Detroit. And um, when, you, uh, when you cross the border... Canada, it's a highway. In the States, it's a freeway, even though they have more toll roads. doesn't make sense. Um, I'm thinking in a highway because you're traveling high speeds. I don't know what's wrong with Americans. Anyway, um, so we were traveling through Detroit, and we took a wrong turn. We, there, there was a bunch of construction going on, and we found ourselves in a place in Detroit that you didn't want to be. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And so what did we do in that moment? We repented of our choice and we turned around and we got back on the freeway. And that's really what repentance means. It means to turn around and go the opposite direction. So there is actually nothing negative about the idea of repentance, but we turn it and make it a negative. And so we want to understand and once again discover the joy of repentance that if we are going in just like we were singing out if we were driving our life into a proverbial grave let's run out of the grave uh, repentance is a good idea let's not drive our life into destruction but let's turn it around and go the other way and then go god's way in our life so repentance is a positive joyful thing once we actually discover what it is but we're going to look at a story today um, here in the Gospels, and then Jesus presents an idea to us, and it is something that we still struggle with today. And then at the end of this idea, he gives us a parable that in Jesus' mind is the solution to the dilemma that he pre presents in the first part of the story. And it is something, once again, that if, you, if you've done any thought sometimes about a bunch of, you know, we live in a world, there's a lot of tragedies, there's a lot of difficulties uh, that go on in the world that we live in. And then sometimes, uh, you know, people die young. Have you ever had a friend of yours or maybe knew somebody that a baby died or a child died or somebody maybe you would think, well, this was before their time and this is how we would think about a child that dies, Right. That, oh, this they, it was too young. It, it's not right. It doesn't feel right when a child dies or somebody dies, you know, maybe before they're 80 or 90 or 100, whatever the case may be. It just doesn't sit right with us on the inside. And then sometimes those things that happen can become very confusing because we're trying to figure out, you know, like what happened? What happened in this situation? And we try to um, decide something about maybe the nature of humanity or the nature of God and all of these things get a little bit confusing for us. And then Jesus talks about this using some um, stories or some things that happened around the context of his life. So we're going to read these here in Luke chapter 13. And let's read about what Jesus said. It says, There were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, there isn't a great amount of detail in that verse about exactly what happened, but there is um, a Jewish historian called Josephus, and he references a time where Roman soldiers would go to the Jewish temple on Passover day, and at Passover, 
the Jewish people were offering their sacrifices. In other words, there was blood there. And then the soldiers would go in and basically just kill a bunch of people randomly just on the day of Passover, just to produce mischief and chaos in the middle of this holy day that the Jews were trying to uh, be a part of. And then, then, you know, Pilate's guys were just going in there and just basically terrorizing their lives and killing a bunch of people. So they were telling Jesus this story about their, these people's blood got mingled with the blood of the sacrifices. And verse 2, and he answered them, And he says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? So Jesus is asking the question, even though they didn't necessarily ask the question, I would say that he's aware of what they're thinking. And partly what we would think sometimes when situations like this happen. We would try, try to draw a straight line and, you know, something happened and then, oh, maybe this person was just a worse person than the other people that were there. This is what Jesus is presenting to them. Were these people that died, were they worse sinners than the other Galileans that didn't get stabbed, that didn't get their blood mingled with the sacrifices? Because maybe that, that would be an easy way to think about it, right? That the people that died, they were just worse than the other people. Wouldn't that be simple if life was like that? If it was just, oh, the bad people died and... And the good people survived. But we know that that's not true, right? We've all experienced that and we've all seen that. That sometimes people that we would call innocent, they die. Or a baby dies or a child dies or a teenager dies. And these things, once again, are very difficult to process. And Jesus is presenting this idea to us. It would just be easy to think that the people that died are worse than the people that survived. And what does Jesus say to this in verse 3? No, the first word he says, he's like, no, that's not what it is. It's kind of a simple answer to a a very big, deep, and complex question. Well, then, then why does it look like in life that sometimes innocent people die or people that we would say are innocent? Why, here's the big question, why do bad things happen to good people or the people that we would judge as good. And then somebody who's bad and then we know are bad, they get to live a long time. Charles Manson died a little while ago. He was in his 80s. Now, none of us would say that Charles Manson deserved to live a long life, would mass murderer. So none of us would say, oh yeah, Charles Manson should get to live a long time. We, we wouldn't decide those things. But here Jesus is asking this question. Hey, these people that died, do you think they're worse than the other people that didn't die? Jesus says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Verse 4, are those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? So here's another tragedy that happened. There was this tower in this specific city. And then we don't, once again, we don't have the details of exactly what happened, but somehow this tower fell over and 18 people died. And Jesus asked the question, were those 18 people worse than the other ones that the tower missed? What did Jesus, what's the next word? How does Jesus answer? No. See, once again, it would just be, it would just be simple and it would be clean and it would just, it would just make sense to us. 
If the, if the things that happened somehow just, you know, it was like a straight mathematical equation, you know, bad person, they die young, we're okay with that. But obviously that wasn't the case. It wasn't, it wasn't justice wasn't done with these 18 people that died and the people that died on the day that the sacrifices were given, they weren't worse. Jesus is like, no, they weren't actually worse. But then he says to us, but I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable to answer this question. A man had a fig tree implanted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure and otherwise fertilize it. And then I should bear fruit next year. Well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So that's Jesus' parable to the answer of this really big question that we all struggled with. Has anyone ever struggled with this idea? Has anyone ever thought about this, that they're just as the Charles Manson example, like why did he get to live a long life? And then maybe somebody that you knew, like a sweet person, a child, they died young. And a little bit what Jesus is telling us, that there isn't a straight line answer to something somebody does and uh, an early death or a tragedy that they might face. His answer was simple and it was no. That's not the equation. That's not the equation. There was another instance in the book of John chapter 9. Let's turn over there. That the, the same kind of questions come up in John chapter 9. And it said he passed by and he saw a man blind from birth. In other words, somebody that had a birth defect. Somebody that was born with a very specific condition. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? In other words, here's the question. Here's how we would think. Once again, it's a simple way to think. If, and they would have this belief at this time that the child in the womb could actually sin. And because the child sinned in the womb, it somehow then was born with a defect because it had sinned. And this is what they were asking. Was it that Jesus or is there a straight line that we could draw from the parent's sin to this birth defect? Because that would just be simple and clean. That would just make sense to us. How we would think and how we would process life, that would just make sense to us. And let's see how Jesus answered this question. Verse 3, Jesus answered, It was not this man that sinned or his parents. It's virtually the same answer that he gave over in Luke 13. It wasn't this man or his parents. See, a lot of times we as Christians, we have this very um, karmic idea of life. In other words, karma, something that comes from Hinduism. In other words, you do something and then there's something automatically that happens right after that. But Jesus wasn't drawing a straight line. It was like, no, wasn't that his parents sinned or he didn't. The child didn't sin in the womb. So what's the next thing, Jesus? Um, he said this, or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who has sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So what does Jesus say? 
He said, the works of God must be displayed in him. I, we must work the works of him. And if you continue reading the story, what happens? The blind man gets healed. So the work of God is the healing. The work of God is not the sickness. The work of God is not the difficulty. And this is huge for us to understand. This helps us with our worldview. This helps us with our life view. This helps us with how we think about God. Jesus said it wasn't that sin. It wasn't this sin. But I want to work the works of God. The works of God are not the blindness. So we, here's two answers that we have. Uh, is it because there are worse sinners? Jesus says no. Can we draw a direct line from the child's sin to the parent's sin? Jesus says no, neither of them sin. But I must work the works of God. Now why didn't Jesus give us this big, long explanation about why this child was born blind. I would suggest to you that it's a little bit above our pay grade. That we can have some big, long, drawn-out explanation of the broken world that we live in, sin that people are choosing that causes uh, in general in the world, and then the enemy that is also in the world. Some sort of combination between those three things or some other thing that we might not actually understand because we aren't actually God. That's a good revelation to have. That we aren't actually going to understand everything all of the time. And sometimes if we get stuck trying to figure these things out, we miss out on the thing that Jesus is actually asking us to do as it relates to these things. But what's great about these stories is that we can't lay tragedy at the feet of God. We can't and shouldn't lay at the feet of God evil that happens to mankind. We see that it wasn't actually the will of God. The will of God for this boy was healing. Are you with me today? And when we think about Jesus... What is Jesus famous for in the Gospels? He was famous for healing. See, we have the, such a tremendous understanding of who God is from Jesus himself. In the Old Testament, when their understanding was not as sharp, not as acute, a little bit darkened, as the scripture would say, everything got blamed on God. There was a big storm, there was a big thing, and then, you know, somebody died in a, in a tragic storm, and they would say, oh, there, God did that. And then, and then we would even see that today. Some big storm happens somewhere. And then somebody, you know, a Christian will get up and say, some Christian will get up and say, well, that's the judgment of God. Because a storm happened and somebody died. And so God is judging those people in that place that died as somehow they were worse sinners. And I think Jesus actually answered that question in Luke 13. Are those, those people that died in Katrina those many years ago? Were they worse sinners than the rest of us? And what would Jesus answer? No. It wasn't actually that. We can't, law, we can't lay that at the feet of God. You know, I, one other uh, preacher, that, uh, a pastor friend that I have, you know, he said when the storm happened in Louisiana and Katrina, you know, the, the worst place that we could think of in Louisiana would be like Bourbon Street, right? Bourbon Street didn't get hit. God missed. You know, all the poor people that, that were living in the places where the dikes were over one, somehow they, you know, God had bad aim. No, that's just, a, it's just not a good way to think, people. 
It's not, it's not a good way to think. And Jesus is helping us to not think that way. That we, and here's a bit of the struggle too, is sometimes we just think that everything happens is God's will. And as evidenced by the story of the man born blind, we know that that wasn't God's will. The will of God was for the person, the boy, the man to experience healing. That wasn't, and so God wasn't the author of the sickness. God wasn't the author of the pain. And so we don't have a full orbed answer. We don't have a fully expressed answer, but we know it isn't that. And that should help us a lot. It should help us a lot to know that God is not the enemy of people. That God is not your enemy, that God is on your side. And when we think about these situations, when we think about these circumstances, what are we supposed to do as we peer at things and we look at things and it looks like, I don't know, I don't know if that's a right thing and I don't think justice is getting done there. And, and, and you know, this, I, it's so confusing sometimes how the world operates and the things that go on. So what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to think? John chapter 12. Let's turn over there. John chapter 12, verse 48 says this. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So what's a great thing about in this first verse here in verse 48, it says on the last day, and you've heard this phrase on judgment day. The last day is judgment day where God will set all things right. See, we, we look at the world as it is today and we think, you know, people are getting away with stuff. And here's the reality. On Judgment Day, nobody gets away with anything because God is the righteous judge. And when we think about God as judge, that would be the only person that we would actually think would qualify to be the judge of humankind, right? The one who can actually judge according to hearts. And this is what the Old, the Old Testament says about God, that he doesn't just look on the outward. See, this is our struggle about trying to figure out how the world works and the things that go on in the world. What is our struggle? All we can see is the outside. What does God see that we can't see? God sees hearts. So he's the only one actually qualified to judge people. So here's part of the advice that I would say. We shouldn't be trying to figure out someone else's judgment. Are you with me? We shouldn't try to be thinking, well, did they get judged? Is that the judgment of God? Is this the judgment of God on somebody? In the last day, the last day of judgment, God is going to set everything right. The scripture says that the righteous judge will do right. God will make everything right. But here we live in this wonderful place of God's grace, that God has graced us in this moment in time, that we can actually live in God's grace. And then we, in this moment, in our lives individually, we should invite the judgment of God so that we can repent back to the joy of repentance. So what is the judgment of God? Just like we were thinking about, if I'm driving my life into a grave, into a place of death. 
What should I do? I should turn around and go the other way. And this is the joy for me as an individual, inviting God's ways. That's what God's judgment is. God's decisions about life. That I would invite the way God judges the world into me personally so that if I'm going a certain direction that would take me into sin, that would destroy my life, that would bring death into my life or my family's life, what should I do? I should turn around. I should repent and go the other way. And that's why there's joy in repentance. Because God is giving us this moment that we can live in a place of repentance, that I wouldn't be driving my life into sin or destruction, that I could turn my life around and go the other way. Another definition of uh, the word repentance is means to perceive afterwards, to change one's mind or purpose, to change your mind or purpose. And we all do this on a regular basis. We change how we think about certain things and we go a different direction. Don't we do that? We, we don't do the same things if we find ourselves, if we've made some mistakes and then we find ourselves going down the same road again, what should we do? Should we keep driving down that road? Should we keep driving down the wrong road in Detroit? No, what should we do? We should turn around. And this is what the scripture says about repentance. This is the definition of repentance, that I would be changing my mind. And this is the thing that we would see in this story that Jesus is asking us to do. Here's the big philosophical thought. Okay, Jesus, the people that died there in this situation, in this tragedy, are they worse than the other people? What did Jesus say? No. And then what did he say? Unless you repent, I'm like, no, 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 Jesus, I'm not talking about me right now. I just want to talk about the other sinners who were dying in tragedies in the world. I don't want to talk about me. I don't want to talk about my issues in this moment. I just want to try to figure out everybody else's problems. Here's the, a little bit of the solution for the moment when we find ourselves stuck in these big thought things that are driving us crazy about how the world and the innocent are dying and what should we do? Well, what I should do, what Jesus is telling me to do, is to repent. Well, are they a worse sinner? Are they, uh, Jesus asked the question, are they a worse sinner than the other people? In other words, there's grade A sinners and like grade whatever, D sinners. And then, you know, the, the really people that, the people that we would hate the most, they're the worst sinners. And then there's us, right? We're better sinners than the other sinners, right? I don't mean we sin better, we sin less than the people we really don't like. I, I give this illustration as it relates to our sin. Um, who is responsible for the garbage in your house? The garbage putter outer person. Generally speaking, it's me. And then occasionally what happens, for those of you who don't put out the garbage, let me teach you. <laughs> the struggle that we face sometimes is that these bags break, all right? And the mess that you have produced falls out in the garage floor. And for those of us that put out the garbage, what do we do in that moment, people? What do we do? We pick up your garbage, your garbage, your nasty Stinky garbage. And we put it away. 
in the bag and we take it to the... But that's my garbage. So I'm okay touching it with my bare hands. If I'm at your house and your garbage falls out, I'm going to get a hazmat suit, okay? <laughs> Before I touch your garbage. Because your garbage is worse than my garbage. And this is how we think about sin. Somebody else's sin is worse than my sin. They're the worst sinners. This is what Jesus said their thoughts were. What? You think they're worse sinners than you. The scripture says if you break the law, you're guilty of the whole thing. So there is no grade A and grade D sinners. They are sinners. We are sinners. See, we look, we, we're, if you were seen this week, Billy Graham passed away this week. 99 years old, almost made it to 100. And what we would say about Billy Graham is he deserved to live to 99. Because he preached and so many people got saved under his ministry, did so many wonderful things, man of integrity. And I don't necessarily want to speak for Billy Graham, but I'll take a shot at it. If you told him he deserved to live till he was 99 because of what he did, he would say it's only by the grace of God. It's only by the grace of God that we live. Not because we're less worse sinners than the other sinners we don't like. Jesus said no. It's, it's, it's not this person that I don't like, there are this. No, it's like this is all of us people. All of us. All of us don't deserve the grace of God, but all of us are given the grace of God. Second Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Godly sorrow, one translation says, produces repentance. When I realize I'm messing up my life, not just feeling bad I got caught for something, but I actually realize my life has been messed up and I'm really sorry for the way I live. What should I do? Should turn the car around and go the other way. And there should be joy in that. Not something that somebody else is imposing on me that you must repent. No, we get to repent, people. We are alive and breathing. We get to turn our lives around. Stop spending all of your mental energy thinking about how other people, what happened to other people and what happened in this tragedy, in this situation and oh, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, no, but we already know we can't lay it at the feet of God. We already know it's not God doing it. So that takes a big weight off our shoulders, right? It should. We know that it's not God doing it. So we know God is not against me either. Godly sorrow leads us to repentance, the turnaround. Mark chapter 1, 15 says, The time promised by God has come at last, Jesus says. He announced the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Repent of your sins. I'm not going to drive my life into destruction. I'm not going to send my life down the path of destruction. What am I going to do? I am going to believe the good news about the grace of God. 
I'm going to believe the good news about the grace of God that I'm still breathing, not because I'm better than everybody else and not because my sin is less than the other people who have died in tragedies and accidents. No, I get to turn my life around and just accept the grace of God. And not live my life in this confusion about how the world is and how it should be and what's going to happen on Judgment Day. Let's just leave that in the hands of God. Let's let God be God. And let's let us do the things that Jesus asked us to do. He helped us out so much. He's like, no, it's not that. It's not that there were sinners. And then in John chapter 9, he told us, no, they weren't born blind because of God. No, it wasn't that. So we know God is not doing all of these things. God is not the author of evil in the world. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says this. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to, say it with me, repentance. Those of us that are alive and breathing, which is all of you that I'm looking at right now, we are recipients of the forbearance and kindness of God. It's not because we're less of a sinner than people that have died. Are you with me today? What is he, what is he with us? He's patient with us. He forbears with us. He gives us his kindness. And so what should we do in the face of all of that? What does it say to do? Repent. Turn around. Don't drive your life into sin. Don't drive your life into a mess up. Don't drive your life into a place that hurts you and your family and destroys your family. Involve something else in your decision making other than your desires. Involve the judgment of God. How God judges we should live life. And then what can we do? Repent. It's a joyful thing. It's a good thing. It's a thing that sets us free. In the face of his kindness and his love, his forbearance. What does the scripture say to do? Repent. Facing confusion about life and how it operates. And why do... uh, People that we would consider innocent die. And why does this happen? And why does this tragedy happen? In the middle of that confusion, what do we do? We repent. In other words, we live a life of repentance. We live a life, this joy. That I'm not destroying my life with sin. That God has given me grace so that I can turn around and go the other way. So let's read again the parable that Jesus told us after this big idea. Luke 13, verse 6, it says this, and he told this parable. A man had a fig tree. So this is, now once again, this is Jesus' answer to this big life conundrum. This big thing that we struggle with. I don't know that we could ever make sense of it. This is the parable that he tells us. He wants us to learn something. 
in this world that we live in. Do we live in a world with tragedies? Come on now. We live in a world with tragedies. Terrible things go on around the world every week. And, and, and people are dying. Babies are dying. There's terrible injustices going on around the world. Have you seen these things? Do you watch the news? What is two things that we know about that? Well, we know that they aren't worse sinners than us. And we know God didn't do it to them. That God is good. And in the middle of facing a world like that, those of us that remain, those of us that are still alive, he's giving us this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. He said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? In other words, this tree is supposed to produce and it's not producing. Let's just cut it down and throw it out. It's useless. And he answered him, said, sir, let it alone this year also. I'll dig around it, put new manure on it. And if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Who is the one that comes and says, no, 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 let's give him, let's give them some more time. I'm going to do something in their life. I'm going to fertilize their life. I'm going to cultivate something in their lives because their lives can still produce. Who is the one that does that? His name is Jesus. We, at different times, just like people that we would view are worse sinners than us, we have wasted our lives, wasted our time, made bad decisions. And what do we see that Jesus says about us? Not done with them yet. They're still living, they're still breathing. I'm going to do something in their life. I'm going to fertilize their life. I'm going to do something to help them to live. The compassion of the Savior looks at us and says about us and to us, you are still valuable in my kingdom. You are still living and breathing. There are things you aren't going to understand in the world that you live in. Tragedies are going to happen. People are going to die young. Some good stuff isn't going to go on. But you're still living and breathing. And I still want to do something with you. I still want to do something with your life. It's not over for you yet. We can still repent. We can still turn it around. Last verses and then we're done. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 6 says this. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, talking about preachers. And they will be rewarded according to their own labor. But the preachers aren't anything. It's God that makes us grow. Verse 9, for we are co-workers in God's service. For those of us that are living and breathing, 
What does God say about us? We are co-workers, co-joint heirs with him, the scripture says. God has purpose for you. You are living and breathing. It's not too late. It's not over for you. It's not gone too far. God says you are his co-worker in his service. You are God's field. What did we say last week about the seed, the small mustard seed? God is planting things in us. He's cultivating things in us. You are still useful in the kingdom. And then it says, you are God's building. God is not cutting you off. He's building something in you. And that's the beauty, the joy of still being able to repent, to turn around. I'm not going to drive down the wrong road anymore. I'm not going to waste my life. God has given me grace because I'm useful in his kingdom. Let's just pray this morning. God, we thank you for your word today. God, we are so thankful for your compassion on us. That you love us and you care about us. And you are not casting us aside. You aren't done with us yet. That you call to all of us, the young and the old, that we can turn the situations in our life around. That we don't have to go to those places anymore. That we don't have to cause destruction in our life anymore. But you give us your grace to repent and to turn around, Lord. And we are so thankful for that. That we get to live a life of repentance. It's such a gift. We thank you for that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.